The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. I say it every time because we think it's true and people tell us it is. So let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Well, we have an interesting quote from Don Tapscott and Alex Tapscott, his son. Just a quick background check. Don is a Canadian business executive, author, consultant, and speaker who specializes in business strategy and a whole lot more. CEO of the Tapscott Group, and his books include Paradigm Shift, The Digital Economy, Growing Up Digital, Digital Capital, and blockchain revolution. That's a clue about our topic. Uh, Alex is a Canadian business author and advisor. His work revolves around applications of blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Now you have a clue. Here is the quote we've selected from them. Today, thoughtful people everywhere are trying to understand the implications of a protocol that enables mere mortals to manufacture trust through clever code. This has never happened before. Trusted transactions directly between two or more parties, authenticated by mass collaboration and powered by collective self-interest, rather than by large corporations motivated by profit. I have to translate. We're talking about blockchain. We're talking about Bitcoin and a lot more. Our topic today... Well, we did two two parts on this already. We had to come back for part three. So we're talking today about blockchain money makeover part three. Uh, I have a panel of three very, very interesting guests. But let me just tell you a little bit more what we're going to be discussing. Just when the switch to digital money has threatened what banks do handling cash... Blockchain technology is attacking their role as a trusted intermediary. This goes back to the quote I just read you from the Tapscots. Of course, banks are lending our money out, getting us a little profit called interest, yada, yada. But blockchain is an iceberg and it is descending. It is making inroads in the banking industry, other industries, lines of business. There is hype. We just did a show on another Game Changer series a few days ago about behind, beyond the hype. What's true? What's wishful thinking? What are the business cases for enterprises? What startups on the blockchain chain are going to make it? Which ones are going to go poof in a cloud of wishful smoke? Can you incorporate blockchain into your business, even into your supply chain, which we covered on our supply chain episode yesterday. Now let me tell you who our panelists are. This is a powerhouse panel. I'm warning you, you're going to hear great things and learn a lot. I'll tell you and then I'll introduce them in a minute. First up, we're welcoming back Raymond Gross, Innovation Manager in Blockchain at SAP. Joining him on the panel is a newcomer 
Dr. Gideon Greenspan. He's the founder and CEO of Coin Sciences Limited, the company behind Multichain, the popular platform for private blockchains. We have a lot to hear from him. Rounding out the panel, another newcomer, Chris Hansen, Chief Technology Officer at Portage, P-O-R-T-A-G-3, ventured a fintech-focused venture capital fund investing in enabling entrepreneurs and CEOs and, and, and innovation, and a CTO at Coho, a Canadian neobank. Oh, my, we have a lot to learn from Chris as well. So let's circle around the table. I've talked too much. Raymond Gross, welcome back. How are you, Raymond? Hey, how are you, Bonnie? It's good to be here. Uh, always I good am, to be on the show. Thank you. I'm delighted. And I have to tell everybody, if you want to see Raymond's avatar, go to Twitter and put in G-R-O-S-S-R-A-I with a little at sign in front of it, and it's R-A-I-M-U-N-D, and you'll see this very, very serious-looking little blonde avatar who's looking at me right now on Twitter. So Raymond has selected a quote today from Dr. R. Tyler Smith, a globally recognized expert in the application of blockchain technology. Uh, interestingly enough, Raymond, I don't know if you know, but Dr. Smith recently resigned as the head of blockchain for the national natural resource company BHP Belito, uh, but he is the currently the director of energy for Consensus, the global leader in blockchain-focused software development. Here's the quote. Everybody listen up. There are no fast followers in a paradigm shift, only winners and losers. Okay, Raymond, tell me, what does this quote have to do with blockchain? Well, it has to do um, on a couple of uh, of levels, actually. So, first of all, as you as you pointed out, um, uh, Tyler is uh, in in the space in the area of blockchain. He's he's active in that, and consensus certainly is one of the big um, movers and shakers and uh, opinion makers in the in the ecosystem. So, therefore, it's um, it's sort of a natural fit already. But uh, the quote itself, uh, there's uh, there's so much in it for me. Like um, if we if we look at the term paradigm shift and and um, think about what what does it actually mean we we see it's it's about a fundamental change in basic concepts and practices this is what it means paradigm shift right and mm-hmm. and this is what I um, see in blockchain as well a fundamental change how business is done in the future, move from the centralized infrastructures we're having today, like the, the client-server-based um, infrastructures with intermediaries, up to a world where there's more decentralized control. Participants act on, a, on an eye level in, a, in peer-to-peer networks. There's not one single dominant party in that, and, and trust is uh, sort of intrinsic, and, and the incentives are aligned between all participants. And, and this is if we look at how business is done today, a lot of the times this is um, very, very different. And uh, I think this is why the term paradigm shift really applies in here. And, well, about the um, fast followers that are non-existing, um, mm-hmm. I, I think it speaks to themselves. You either have to be aware and start working and being active in that space, or you risk being a loser and um, not being part of the, of the winning team, which is probably not what people anticipate uh, to be in. Thank you, Raymond. I have a quick question for you before I introduce our other two panelists with their opening quotes. In my opening, I mentioned a quote from Don Tapscott and Alex Tapscott. And to me, what jumped out is they said, a protocol that enables mere mortals to manufacture trust through clever code. Do you agree with that? It's very dramatic. Do you agree? 
Uh, yes, definitely. This is uh, this is uh, what it is about. Obviously, um, bringing in the term models gives uh, uh, gives it some sort of drama, but uh, but they are up to up to a core point of the of the whole thing. So uh, yes, I definitely agree. Thank you very much, and thank you for assembling such a wonderful panel. I'm about to introduce our second guest. He is Dr. Gideon Greenspan, Coin Sciences Limited. In a few minutes, he'll tell us what his company does. Gideon is in Israel, so I've given you a little preview. We do have a very international, very globally located panel today. Gideon has selected a quote we happen to love from Yogi Berra. We haven't heard this before. And just so you know, Gideon, I did a lot of research on this, and it actually is a real quote from the the real, the late, great Yogi Berra, who played 19 years of baseball for the New York Yankees, almost his entire career, retired American Major League Baseball catcher, manager, and coach. This quote was printed in the 1998 work, The Yogi Book. I really didn't say everything I said, and and he wrote it, and it has to do with he was giving baseball player Joe Garagiola directions from New York to Yogi Berra's house in Montclair, New Jersey. Here is the quote, just a little background. The quote is, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. And the funny part is that uh, apparently Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. A fork in the road. And apparently Garagiola said, I will if it's a silver one, meaning a silver fork. So that's a, a little separate sidebar on this. Dr. Gideon Grainspan, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Good, thank you. Bunny, thanks for having me. Oh, we're delighted. Talk to me. You're a big Yogi Berra fan. Do you follow baseball all the way over there in Israel when you're watching it over here? How do you do that? Uh, I don't follow baseball, to be honest, but I've come across many of his quotes over the years, and I always find them uh, at first confusing, and then you start to think about them more deeply, and you start to understand them (laughs) on a kind of deeper level, a bit like Zen. So I, I like his quotes very much. Ah, I think Yogi would be very honored to be uh, likened to Zen. I think he would be very honored in absentia. Now tell me, fork in the road, are we talking about blockchain, cryptocurrencies? Are we talking about this paradigm shift that Raymond mentioned? Help me connect the dots here, Gideon, please. So I guess the point of the quote is that often uh, a decision has to be made, and you can agonize about uh, which decision to make, but the most important thing is to make one. And uh, this is relevant to blockchains because uh, in, in many types of blockchains, um, you can get a situation where this consensus system, which is meant to ensure everybody agrees, actually generates some disagreement where some participants think one thing and some other participants think another thing. And that event, in technical terms, is called a fork. So the most important thing that can happen in a blockchain when a fork happens is that it resolves itself. And it doesn't generally matter which way the system resolves itself, whether Group A win or Group B win, but the most most important thing is that somebody wins. So it's partly about blockchains, but it's also a little bit about being an entrepreneur in general, uh, because often as a tech entrepreneur, and I guess an entrepreneur in any any sector, uh, you have to make uh, big decisions with a lot of uh, uncertainty and a lack of information, and these decisions can often be agonizing. And in those cases, it's often helpful to understand that you're never really going to know which is the right decision, but the most important thing to do is to decide one way or another, and then you can always correct yourself later on, rather than kind of being in a kind of state of paralysis and not making any decision at all. 
Interesting. I, uh, Gideon, I was a mainframe programmer back in the day. I'm guessing, I'm pretty sure before you were born. <laughs> I really am. Uh, we're talking about key punching. We're talking about thousands of lines of COBOL handwritten and then key punched and then input into the machine and IBM 4341, Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 way back in the day with huge computer rooms. And uh, what was my point? I completely forgot my point. Oh, uh, when, when I was studying um, all kinds of systems, uh, all kinds kinds of languages. We talked about the the on and the off, the zero and the one. And I heard somebody say once, if you decide to not do anything, you have selected zero versus the one, and that is a choice. So would you agree with that, that if you don't do anything, if you don't acknowledge this paradigm shift, if you don't get on the blockchain bandwagon or even learn about it, you just say, oh, not for me. Oh, I don't want to do that. You have made a decision to stand on the sidelines. Can you Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's true about blockchains. I think that's true in general. But often the, the decision to do nothing is, is often the worst choice of all. And um, I guess maybe that's the point of the quote. I agree. I absolutely agree. You have to do something. That fork forces you. It's like take a right or a left. You're at the end of the road. Damn it. Gideon Greenspan, thank you so much for joining us. We have a lot more to talk to you about. But now I'm going to turn my attention to our third panelist, Chris Hansen at Portage 3 Ventures and Coho. We'll find out in a few minutes what he does. Chris has sent us a quote, very interesting quote also, from Marshall McLuhan. Anybody never heard of McLuhan? It's Herbert Marshall McLuhan, 1911 to 1980, a Canadian professor, philosopher, and public intellectual. I've never heard anybody called a public intellectual, Chris. That's a new one for me. Uh, his work is considered one of the cornerstones of the study of media theory and has practical implications in the advertising and TV industries. He's known for coining the expression, a lot of you will know this, the medium is the message. He also termed, coined the term global village, and he predicted the World Wide Web almost 30 years before it was invented. So maybe he invented it instead of Al Gore. We're still not sure about that. Here is the quote from Marshall McLuhan, selected by Chris Hansen. Quote, we look at the present through a rearview mirror. We march backwards into the future. Chris Hansen, how are you today? Welcome to Game Changers. Thank you very much, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Delighted. Talk to me. Big fan of Marshall McLuhan. Do you agree Medium is the message? Is blockchain the message? Blockchain, you know, so blockchain is a disruptive element. And I, I think what McLuhan adds to this conversation is that, you know, he was really key at looking at how television was, was changing the world. Um, I think, you know, disruptive technologies have an impact on the world that's really hard for us to understand. And I think, you know, this quote is really saying that we can really only understand blockchain through everything that we've seen to date. And I think this is why you see some people saying, you know, blockchain is a database and other people are saying it's a network and other people are saying it's other things. The challenge that we have when we see something that's, that's completely different is that we can only really understand it through what we've seen in the past. Very interesting. So tell me something. Uh, do you think that McLuhan really did predict? How did he predict the World Wide Web 30 years before we came to know it? It's, it's the core of our lives today. Those of us who were in, in marketing, those of us who were in media, those of us mm. who communicate around the world. Uh, how do you think he managed to do that? Did he just sit and look into a, some kind of ephemeral crystal ball and say, well, I think I'll look into the future today instead of through the rearview mirror. Wow, the World Wide Web is coming. How do you think he did that, Chris? 
You know, I, I think he really saw um, the you know changes in the world. He he came up with this concept of the global village, and he saw that as communications became more global, uh, you know things changed. The, the the media and the message were intertwined, um, and I think that he saw that becoming kind of a global conversation. And so, what he predicted as the World Wide Web was this really kind of global conversation, and we see it now in things like social network. Um, I've, you know, I'm not a longtime McLuhan, uh, you know, sort of researcher, but I, I read a, I, I read a, a biography of his uh, written by Douglas Copeland, and was just really fascinated with how relevant his thinking is today as we look at new technologies and and things that are coming at us. Thank you very much, Chris. And I'm going to ask you the question I asked Raymond, and I think I have to circle back and ask Gideon. Do you agree with what I mentioned from the Tapscots in my opening, that blockchain is a protocol that enables, quote, unquote, mere mortals to manufacture trust through clever code? What do you think about that? Well, I mean, you know, first of all, um, I think when you create a decentralized application like a blockchain, it it sort of takes on a life of its own and it becomes, you know, kind of an entity that runs in itself. Once you decentralize something, it, it really kind of continues to evolve sort of on its own. Uh, the other thing is that I think the nature of trust is changing. And, and so we, when we think about blockchain and trust, what people look for as they establish trust, I think, is, is changing and is, and is evolving with digital. And I think, you know, in many ways, blockchain is a manifestation of that. We get the trust from the decentralization. We get the, fr- the trust from the algorithm. We don't necessarily trust the parties. Ah, very interesting. Bring it down to that human level. Yes, who are the people we're working with? Uh, Gideon Greenspan, I didn't ask you that question. You want to comment on agree or disagree with the statement from the Tapscots? Well, I'll just, I'll just say one thing about the mere mortals, which is that um, if you want to create an actual blockchain itself, um, such as you know one of the large public uh, cryptocurrency blockchains, you pretty much need to be a technical god to manage to do it. Um, so I think in some ways it's actually harder to create one of these systems than it would be to, to work in one of the more traditional industries um, that, that provided these services before, although I guess uh, we would expect that over time that becomes easier and easier. But if you look at the people today who are inventing these systems, they are you know, absolute geniuses by any measure. They're very, very deep understanding of many, many different fields. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. You know what I'm going to do now? We're going to take our little up-close-and-personal segment called, well, first of all, where are you? Second of all, what's in your cup today? Raymond has done this before, so I'm going to let him lead it off. Raymond Gross, where are you calling from today, or where are we calling you? And what are you drinking right now, Raymond, if it absolutely makes you smile? If it's something that's boring or yucky or non-existent, tell me what you would prefer to be drinking. Raymond Gross, talk to me. Yes, I'm calling in from, from Germany, actually, Waldorf, the SAP headquarters. And um, I have to admit, for um, my current drink, it's uh, very much on the boring side, so it's just a big glass of plain water. But obviously, um, I'm pretty aware that uh, nothing that I can excite you with, so I'll let you in to the little treat I reserved for myself just for after the show. And mm-hmm. as it's alcohol, I will stick with it and, and wait for it until after the show. It's, uh, it's a nice single malt scotch whiskey called Smokehead. And um, uh, the name um, is actually what it's all about. So a friend of mine said it's like uh, 
uh, sucking on a on a piece of charcoal. But actually, um, I like it. It's very, very uh, heavy. It's it's smoky and and it has some saltiness and 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 spice in it. So I'm really looking forward to to have that afterwards. Now, did you say smoke house or smoke hat whiskey? Tell me what the smoke, name was. Smoke hat. Smoke hat. I am looking that up, and I am not finding it. I'm finding all whiskey hats. Uh, let's see. I have Jack Daniels came up. Whiskey smoke on Etsy. Uh, salmon smoke and whiskey. Scotch whiskey. Smoke and whiskey. I'm going to have to do a little more looking up on that one, Raymond. That's a new one for me. So thank you very well, much. Uh, there, check, even check your uh, timeline on Twitter. I just send you a picture because I was prepared. <laughs> uh, you are always prepared. Thank you very much. I will take a look. I appreciate that. Well, that. Was that's the first time I've been totally stumped on a new drink, so thank you for that. And I know you'll enjoy it not too far later. It's eleven twenty-one here on the East Coast, so I know it's much later for you. Now let's turn to our guest from Israel, Dr. Gideon Greenspan. Gideon, what time is it there? And where in Israel, if you can tell us a little more of your location and what are you drinking or what are you waiting to drink? Sure. So the time here is 6.20 p.m. I'm calling you from uh, Tel Aviv, in fact, from pretty much the center of Tel Aviv, uh, right by Rabin Square, a well-known spot for historical events and for demonstrations. Um, what I'm looking forward to drinking is, is a liqueur called Sabra, which is a local liqueur. Um, it is a sweet uh, liqueur which combines the taste of chocolate and of orange, and it's been one of my favorites for many years. I actually discovered this as a child when I uh, drank some um, chocolate milk together with some orange squash and decided uh, that I like that combination of flavors, although thankfully I no longer have those two drinks in combination. Um, unfortunately, I can no longer find it in any shops here, so if any of your listeners know where I can actually buy more of this drink, um, I'll be very happy for them to send me a tweet and then I can uh, go and source it because it's no longer in the places where I used to buy it. Well, I'm going to tell you that if you go to uh, b-21.com slash Sabra, they have it. Metacrawler has Sabra liquor, liqueur, Sabra chocolate orange liqueur. Wine-searcher.com can find it for you. You can get it on eBay. Um, you can, uh, we'll find it for you. I think Quantro.com might have it. And uh, although I will, I will try to send you something. There's actually a kosher version. Did you know that? Yeah, sure. I think it's a kosher drink. I think it is. I absolutely think it is. So very, very interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll find a place for you to get it. That's what we. That's what we want to do here. As well. <laughs> well, that's the trick. We, we might have to have somebody buy it here and ship it over to you, but we'll take care of it. Um, let's see. I have sabra-liqueur.com.compare99.com. Yeah, we'll find it for you. Thank you very much. It sounds delicious. And Chris Hansen, somebody told me you're in the U.S. today. Is that true? And what? where are you exactly, and what do you love to drink? I am in Toronto, Canada today. And, okay. Uh, in uh, the heart of Toronto's financial district, and I am drinking a Starbucks Reserve Vietnam Dot La. It's uh, it's a very nice uh, acidic uh, coffee with um, some some toffee undertones. What I really like about it, though, is that if you go to buy the Reserve, there's no lineup, and I, I have a a serious uh, sort of a, a challenge with lineups. I like to go where there's no lineups. 
Ah, very, very interesting. Yes, yes, yes. Tell me something, uh, Chris. I understand that the speed of transactions on blockchain is so fast that it takes out a lot of the inefficiencies in transactions of all kinds, speaking of no waiting and no lines. Is that true in general, or is that just whenever you do something on blockchain? Is it in seconds rather than waiting three weeks for a bank to think about something and getting the paperwork and getting the permission and signing this and that? How fast is blockchain making transactions possible? Mm. That's a that's a good question, Bonnie, and I think it really varies. Like there, you know, there are some really, uh, you know, it's possible to have really fast transactions on the blockchain. Um, it's possible that that can be very slow. I was talking to somebody last night that was saying my transactions taking forever, and then I looked at it. They had they had set their you can you can sort of set your fee tolerance, and they had set set their fee tolerance really really low. They didn't want to pay anything for for fees. Uh, I would say that you know what blockchain is really good at is just kind of eating the back office and reducing a lot of the um, multiple touches around a transaction. So it can be very fast, you know, sort of at the at the till, if you will, at the point of sale. Um, but it's really good at just kind of simplifying that you know, all of the processes around the transaction. Thank you. And I also heard something, I'm going to just pose this to the panel, that a Bitcoin cryptocurrency transaction takes more physical energy, more electricity, I believe, than a credit card swipe. Chris, can you comment on that before we go quickly around the table and then we'll take our break? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I could, I could believe it. I haven't, I haven't heard that myself, but I could believe it given the, um, you know, the proof of work algorithm and, and there's a lot of energy that goes into securing the network. I think whenever you have something that's decentralized, it, it is by nature of the architecture, you know, sort of less efficient than something that's centralized. But I think there's a trade-off there, too, because, you know, every bit of that security goes into securing the network and everybody has a part in securing the network. Thank you very much, Raymond. Let's circle around to you. Have you heard that, that the amount of electricity needed to power a single Bitcoin transaction is humongous? What do you think? Yeah, obviously, um, that's one of the things that are always quoted in, in context of Bitcoin and blockchain. And uh, while it's natural for the specifics of um, Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency, um, blockchain obviously is a lot more than, than just that single application in the Bitcoin context. So my answer to that is always, well, there's different ways of applying the technology. There's different implementations uh, out there. So Gideon, for example, is, uh, is having one of those uh, on the market. And uh, with different technologies, uh, this is very, very um, differently realized. Uh, so, um, yes, it's an... It's a topic, it's an issue for, for the Bitcoin and the fully public version of it. It's less of an issue in, in, a, um, in a permissioned blockchain space and in an enterprise context because there are different technologies you can select from and then uh, you have uh, things implemented differently. Thank you. I'm just going to read a quote here, Gideon, before you chime in. Uh, according to blockgeeks.com, this is a post from June 2015, two years ago, one Bitcoin transaction required the same amount of electricity as powering 1.57 American households for one day, where the average size home is 2,700 square feet. 1.57 American homes roughly equals 20 Hong Kong homes or 11 mainland China homes. Oh, my. Gideon, can you comment on that? I don't want to focus on this, but I thought it was an interesting uh, piece of trivia. 
Yeah, sure. So first of all, just to clarify, uh, the energy consumption issue uh, is a non-issue in closed permissioned enterprise blockchains. But if we're talking about uh, the Bitcoin blockchain, it's absolutely true that it consumes a lot of energy. Um, but it's designed in that way. The whole uh, idea behind Bitcoin is to make it very costly and difficult for someone to subvert the network. And as a result, there needs to be a high cost uh, or a high amount of energy used in order to secure the network. So it's designed in that way. But I would just add that one of the misunderstandings is that people think that as the number of transactions increases, the amount of energy consumed necessarily increases, and that's not the case. The energy consumed is not a, in any way connected to the, the volume of transactions. It's connected mm -hmm. to the number of people who are performing mining on the network. And the other thing I would say, and I think this is an interesting aspect of cryptocurrencies in general, is that there's, there's a bit of a renewable energy story here, which is that uh, energy is generated right now sometimes in various places in the world where it's simply not needed. And you have situations I know in Germany where the electricity grid will actually pay you to consume electricity at certain times if they have excess power available. So if you have this ability to randomly consume energy in various places in the world and earn money from doing so, and that energy has no other use, then it's true that you're consuming a lot of energy. But on the other hand, there's nothing else that could be done with that energy anyway. So it's not necessarily wasteful per se. It's actually just mm -hmm. a way to burn excess energy when it appears at random times and in random places. Thank you. Great reality check. I appreciate that. Yes, the, the drama overtook the reality and the practicality of what they were claiming. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Gideon. You know what? I'm going to give the three of you a break, hopefully a pause that refreshes. You've been working hard so far. We're almost halfway through the show. Uh, everybody who just tuned in, this is Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. If you're keeping track, and I am as the producer, this is episode number 297. Raymond, did you know that? We're almost up to 300 live episodes of Coffee Break started on October 5th, 2011, way back when. And we're very proud to have our special guests here today, Raymond Gross at SAP calling from Germany, Dr. Gideon Greenspan from Coin Sciences calling from Israel, and Chris Hansen calling from Canada. And you know what? Before we go to break, I owe an apology to our two new guests. I have to ask you, Gideon, tell us briefly about Coin Sciences. What do you do? And then we'll have Chris tell us about Portage 3. Go ahead, Gideon. Sure. So CoinScience is a software company. Uh, and we develop a platform called Multichain, which is a, a very popular uh, platform that people use to build applications on top of a blockchain. So we provide, our software provides the basic infrastructure. And then on top of that, many different types of applications can be built. Thank you very much. Sounds very innovative, which is what we like to hear. Chris Hansen, CTO at Portage Ventures and CTO at Coho, a Canadian neobank. I have no idea what a neobank is. Tell us a little bit about each, please, Chris. Sure, Bonnie. Yeah, so Portage is, is really looking at um, evolving the financial services landscape by investing in uh, fintech entrepreneurs and insurtech entrepreneurs. And uh, Coho is one of our uh, significant investments, and Coho is focused on improving the financial lives of Canadians, uh, basically by helping them with goal setting, saving, uh, managing expenses, giving them a card and an application that, that really helps them out in their daily lives. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. I appreciate that. I know you're very busy. We are going to take that break now. When we come back, we will continue to deep dive in part three of our topic, blockchain and money's digital makeover. This will impact you sooner or later, whether through business or personal, so you need to listen up. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. 90 seconds. Count them along with us. We will be right back. Kevin out. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. This is part three of our ongoing topic, Blockchain and Money's Digital Makeover. We have a truly global panel today, Raymond Gross in Germany, Dr. Gideon Greenspan in Israel, and Chris Hansen in Canada. And I'm in Durham, North Carolina. And by the way, gentlemen, they don't let me near caffeine on radio show days. You know why. All I'm allowed to drink is water. I have a cool, clear mug with cool, clear water with a pink straw celebrating the sunshine. Now, let's get back to our topic. Here we go. Raymond told me the following in his notes before the show. This will kick off our roundtable formally. He said, the good news is that the hype around blockchain is giving way to reality. Industry experts like Gartner Research report that blockchain is past the peak on the hype cycle. I'd love to know more. Raymond, please. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting because there was uh, so much buzz on the on the topic, as you might have uh, realized in in your uh, shows as well. And uh, just the other day, I talked to a colleague of mine, and and he he said the hype is tiring, and and I agree on that a lot. And this is probably what's also reflected in the in the Gartner report, right? Um, being someone on the topic uh, for more than two years makes me an SAP old-timer at least. So um, I would guess that the other panelists here probably have a longer history on, on blockchain, but, uh, but at least for me, um, it's, uh, it's more than two years. And um, the 
all the buzz and the hype, I, I realized it makes things difficult if you want to really work on executing stuff. So um, I sometimes have the feeling that the right things are made wrong by exaggeration that we that we have uh, coming in via the hype. So I'm I'm happy to see that the the uh, bubble is uh, deflating a little bit, which means there are probably and and most likely more quote unquote bad news to come um, while we are going uh, going down from from the hype cycle. But um, there's actually a lot of learnings we've made in the past, and and this is what also propels the the whole topic forward. So um, it's. It's always about that discussion, where is the business value of blockchain? So, And especially in the beginning, this was very, very much led by technology, and we're moving much more into an area where it's led by the business, where it's led by processes, and where blockchain sometimes is a catalyst for improving things, but it's, it's not the reason, it's not the single driving element to, to change what we are doing. And uh, so there's more substance, there's more reality in these discussions. Um, technology evolves. Uh, people get a much better understanding on uh, what goes on for which area, what can be done. So, so really practically proving what is working also helps. And um, at least within SAP and, and the project we are doing, uh, we have a clear focus on um, getting things operational and, and bringing things into production. So it's, it's not only about talking anymore, but, but really, really doing. And uh, last but not least, there's a much better understanding in the meanwhile about the whole environment, about the whole ramifications in terms of not only technology, but, but legal and, and last but not least also, um, I would call it psychology in a, in a way. So accepting that change, and I talked about the move from centralization to decentralization, that's also sort of an acceptance or psychological uh, topic in, in the area of change management. Thank you very much. Very interesting commentary there, Raymond. Thank you. And let's go to Dr. Gideon Greenspan at Coin Sciences. Gideon, agree or disagree with what Raymond told us, including the Gartner report that blockchain is past the peak of the hype cycle. What do you think? Well, I think if we're talking about um, cryptocurrencies, then, then we're, we're still hyping up. Um, and we can see that in the valuations and, and in all of the uh, types of tokens that are being launched now and, and what's called an ICO. But I think in the enterprise blockchain world, I think that's a, a fair a representation of reality. We certainly see that in terms of how people are using uh, our tool, uh, the kind of initial wave of use, use cases that came in which were about moving money uh, between banks uh, over blockchains, which was kind of the obvious first case that people looked at. It's now mostly understood that for most cases, it's not really a suitable technology. And, and that kind of died down, but we see a whole new wave of use cases coming in, including some, some projects which are actually live and in production, which are about something really much more straightforward. And that, and that thing is how do a group of companies come together to create a shared record of anything um, and, and know that they are all in sync with each other um, but without putting any particular individual company in charge of that record. So it's really quite a mundane technology when you look at it in that way. And the way I like to describe it to people thinking about it is there are many different ways for companies uh, to integrate their systems together, particularly companies which have a relationship but don't fully trust each other. And this is a new way of doing things. 
uh, and it's, it's has some advantages over the old ways and it has some disadvantages compared to the old ways. And, and there's a trade-off there. And, and the, the right thing to do is to clearly look at it as an alternative technology compared to messaging and compared to central databases and see whether it fits what you want to do. And, and I'm pleased to see that when we look at the projects actually moving to production, uh, that they're very straightforward things about a group of companies wanting to, to create a shared record of something. And in those cases, it makes sense to use a blockchain and the kind of transformative revolutionary ideas that people came up with at the beginning are not happening, or at least they're not happening for now. Um, but I think it is fair to say that they may happen in future uh, in a way which is hard to predict now, but which we perhaps are starting to see some inklings of in terms of enabling people to transact with each other directly and to standardize things without having to pick somebody who's in charge of their systems. And, and there is kind of a longer-term transformation may happen, but in the immediate term, we're seeing some just very, very practical use cases um, which just solve a particular problem for a particular set of companies. Thank you, Gideon. Chris Hansen, love to get your thoughts. What do you think? Agree or disagree with any of the above? So, I like, I agree that... Um, that we're past the hype cycle, and and I actually think that's that's a good thing in some ways. I think the hype is useful to generate some awareness on the topic, uh, but I, I think it also creates you know sort of a, a misconception, and and I think the hype tends to overpromise, and then people are you know sort of annoyed that that there's a that there's a lack of kind of follow through. What I think is interesting about the the space is that. You know, blockchain is maybe a technology, but there's a broader concept here around decentralized applications, around running um, autonomous and 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 self-reliant applications on decentralized networks. I think this is a kind of a, a theme. I think blockchain is an example of this. I think we're probably going to see, you know, more of this in the future. What's interesting about that is that it's resistant to regulation. It's resistant to um, manipulation. It's resistant to tampering. It's designed to be under attack all the time and expects it. And I think this is this is very interesting as we look at building more scalable, resilient systems and solutions in the future. Thank you very much. Good, good. All good around the table. Raymond, any quick comments to wrap that up? Because I have something I want to select from Gideon Greenspan's notes. Raymond? Um, yeah, a little bit of nuance to what Chris just said uh, mm-hmm. on the being under attack and the regulators. Um, I presume that uh, over over the coming years we will see regulators attacking um, the networks and the concepts more in terms of legislation, in terms of uh, trying to maybe prohibit things. And it will be interesting to see how that uh, how that plays out in the long run, because if something is truly decentralized, um, there's no way that can be regulated or prohibited or anything. So uh, it will be an interesting experience also from the perspective of uh, society. Thank you very much. Gideon, I'm looking at your notes, a whole bunch of stuff I'd like to talk about. Just briefly, this is not where I want to go, but briefly, would you define public blockchain versus private, and then we'll dive into something else quickly. Gideon? Sure. So uh, a public blockchain would be something like the Bitcoin network or the Ethereum network, which is open to the whole world in terms of transacting, in terms of seeing what's going on and where the validation process is open to anybody who has sufficient uh, processing power or some other thing. Uh, a private blockchain would be something which has many, techno- many technological similarities to a public blockchain, but is designed as a way to integrate the systems between a set of known companies. 
So there's something similar between the two types of blockchain and there's something different. You know, and as I mentioned, there's, there's a great deal of stress that's caused by the fact that we use the same word to refer to these two different types of systems. And it leads to endless conflicts and arguments where people aren't often talking about the same thing, even though they think that they are. Thank you very much. Now, here's where I really wanted to go. I just wanted to clarify that for our listeners. You say, interestingly enough, I opened up with talking a little bit about the banking industry and the trust and that blockchain seems to be making banking somewhat of a dinosaur. What's the value of banks? Well, you have an interesting comment here, Gideon. You say the association between blockchains and the finance industry is an accident of history. So provocative, I'm not even going to read anything else from your notes. I'd love for you to tell us more, and then we'll have Chris and Raymond comment. Gideon, go ahead. Sure. So what happened in the, in the finance industry was that the creation of Bitcoin was a bit of a wake-up call because suddenly this thing appeared on the scene which threatened to disintermediate finance and to enable people to transact with each other directly, digitally, rapidly, over the Internet. And so that uh, creation... Uh, first uh, caused the attention to be paid in the finance industry. And then the finance industry then looked at how uh, cryptocurrencies worked and decided that for their own purposes, they could use some elements of cryptocurrencies and not some other elements. And then this notion of an enterprise blockchain began to be uh, of interest in the finance sector. But actually, an enterprise blockchain is simply a new type of database or a new type of messaging system. And, and the banks paid attention to it first because of cryptocurrencies, but actually it's no more specifically applicable to banks in a regular database, which obviously has many uses inside a bank, but it has many uses inside many other industries as well. And that's why I call this association an accident of history. And I'm glad to see in terms of what we see on our platform that the, the kind of laser focus uh, of the world on financial applications of this technology has given way to a broader understanding of, of where it's applicable in finance, but also where it's applicable in other industries as well. Thank you very much. Appreciate that level setting for us. Chris Hansen, we'd love to know more. What do you think? Agree or disagree? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree to an extent. I think, um, you know, what, what, what I've seen with banks and I've run use cases with banks and, and running private blockchains, we tend to look at these banks as though they're one organization. But, you know, once you get inside the organization, you realize that, you know, having a decentralized network where the parties don't necessarily trust each other is also useful inside the walls of the bank. Uh, we've got different subsidiaries. We've got different parties inside the bank. Sometimes deploying a, a decentralized application on a private blockchain is actually easier than getting all of these parties to agree and align on a on a specific decision. So, you know, I've I've used um, you know a, a decentralized private blockchain uh, in a banking context to build a use case around um, making bond settlement more efficient and and taking like forty six different systems and reducing that down to sort of one ledger of the facts and getting everybody kind of around that ledger as opposed to just sort of pushing data around. So I still think it's useful. I, I agree that it's, you know, it's a bit of an accident of history. And, and I think the industry has sort of, um, you know, taken this concept and, and kind of run with it and, and maybe transformed it to something that they understand. Um, but I, I still think there's some, some utility there. Thank you very much. Raymond, love to get your thoughts on this. Raymond? 
Yeah, it's probably not appropriate for me to uh, to question the project that uh, Chris has been active on. But um, so let's abstract a little bit here, and and my apologies up front for that uh, being a little skeptical here. But um, if uh, you look at the aspect in general, my my fundamental. Uh, understanding is still if within uh, same entity within the same corporation a centralized solution is still um, technically speaking the best solution um, I see that for change management or psychological reasons a blockchain might be a catalyst for aligning those different parties that Chris talked about but um, but technically I would presume that it's uh, that it's then still not the best solution because to me it's not really decentralized and we're touching a little bit on the uh, on the thing that it's uh, called the blockchain paradox so you need two things actually in 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 that space you, you need the rules that everybody in the network uh, wants to play uh, after and then you, you need an enforcement a governance of of those rules and paradoxically once you solve the the governance of the whole thing um Typically, you wouldn't need blockchain as a technology anymore, but you could agree on some centralized technology. So this is a little bit uh, also the space I'm, I'm uh, active in, in the discussions uh, I'm having constantly. And, and sometimes, and I have to admit that, sometimes it, it feels like the rearview mirror discussion that, that Chris uh, mentioned in the in the introduction, so I'm I'm not you know I'm uh, not 100% uh, sure on on that opinion, but I see a lot lot of perspectives and and different things pulling into different directions in in that space, which also makes it exciting, obviously, but not uh, necessarily uncontroversial. We love controversy here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Chris, you want to rebut? Go back uh, to what Raymond just said, or you want to pass on that? Yeah, no, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I, I agree that technically speaking, a centralized solution is, is often the best. Um, but I mean, as a, as a recovering chief architect from the banking sector, I can tell you that many of my best designs uh, were not implemented due to organizational realities. So, you know, sometimes, you know, there, there's a couple things about blockchain that I think is interesting in terms of enterprise application. One is that there's a lot of energy around the topic, you call it hype. But I mean, if it's a blockchain solution, we might get more momentum internally. Um, and then the other is the decentralized, you know, lack of trust, even internally, uh, some groups just don't want to work together. And so this can create a, you know, the technology can be used to create a trustless sort of paradigm. Thank you. And Chris, you know, we're out of time. We're ready for our crystal ball predictions round, but I found something very interesting here in your notes, and I'm going to give you about 90 seconds just to give us a quick overview. You say one blockchain platform you were involved in creating, Ubiq, U-B-I-Q, smart.com, has developed a life of its own. And then you say there's a strong community of thousands of people supporting it and miners working to secure it. And then here's the key. You say decentralized apps are about the community more than anything. Chris, can you give me a quick 90-second comment on that, please? Yeah, I mean, what's really impressed me about Ubik is just that, you know, people are in it for the right reasons. They're, they're contributing things. People, you know, people contribute what they can. So people contribute, you know, sometimes logos, sometimes they do some coding. Um, I was involved in, in doing some early development. 
but it just sort of took a life on its own. It, it's 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 got thousands of people that are that are securing the network as miners, and to me, it's it's all of the things that cryptocurrency should be about, which is a community working together to make things happen. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point and appreciated. Raymond Gross, we're circling around to you. I'm going to give you each 60 seconds for your prediction. Let's look at 2020. It's three New Year's Eves and less than two, less than, a little more than two years away. Counting today is October or something or other, early October 2017. Forgive me. So, Raymond Gross, let's take a look in the future. Crystal ball time. Tell me, what do you see would be different if we got together again, the three, the four of us, Raymond Gross, Dr. Gideon Greenspan, and Chris Hansen, if we got together at some point in the future, what would be different about this conversation? What would significantly change about the development, the maturity, if you will, of blockchains and cryptocurrencies? Raymond Gross, 60 seconds, all yours. I would presume that we probably wouldn't even talk about blockchain anymore. So um, I would hope, and maybe that's not by 2020, but a little further out, but I, I would hope that it, uh, the technology, the concepts are in a way naturally embedded in what we are doing, uh, naturally part of how enterprise transactions will be conducted in the future. And this will be about persistence, staying with the topic, uh, keeping with it, hanging on into it. And it will be for, for, the, for the open-minded that... Um, keep with it, that adopt and, and also experiment and agilely um, work with it to bring it forward. And then it will be probably so integrated, so natural in, in what we're doing like, like the Internet is, is, is today that we wouldn't need a show on blockchain anymore, that you wouldn't have it as a discussion topic, but it's just the way how things are done for certain cases. Thank you very much. Time for prediction from Dr. Gideon Greenspan in Tel Aviv. Gideon, I'm giving you a whole 60 seconds, all yours. I'm going to go out on a limb and say we're not even going to be using the word blockchain to describe these systems anymore. It's actually a really bad name um, because it's a technical uh, description of how they work uh, behind the scenes. They have a chain of blocks, but doesn't in any way describe what they actually do for us. Uh, and instead of talking about blockchains, we'll be talking about shared ledgers or, or, or shared archives or peer-to-peer databases or something like that. And, and I, I agree with Raymond absolutely that just like today, we don't find ourselves talking about relational databases with excitement, even though they power pretty much every large enterprise in the entire world. We'll, we'll soon, maybe not by 2020, get to the same point where it's just an option that we use for certain types of uses and, and there won't be an excitement about it. It'll just be something that the people that build these systems understand is the right option to use if they have certain requirements. Gideon, great prediction, but you missed one point. Blockchain is something that's uh, the new kid on the block. It's one word. It's sexy. We can talk about it. We can put a hashtag in front of it. So if we're no longer talking about that, I don't see us talking about, let's talk about our shared ledger. So I think we need to call it the Gideon. Can we do that? (laughs) Sure, with pleasure. Okay. (laughs) You knew I was getting to something that was going to make you smile. I just took a long time to get there. Chris Hansen, love to get your prediction. I can give you, oh, you know what, Chris? You get 90 seconds because they were so brief and to the point. Chris, (laughs) predict. Go ahead. So I think uh, in the future we're going to see national identities on on some sort of distributed ledger technology. I think we're going to see um, global currencies. I think we're, we're I think we're just going to see a lot of things 
moving in the direction of you know running on distributed ledger technology. Um, I, I agree with with the prediction that you know it becomes much less about the technology and much more about what's possible. I think we we start to see you know more solutions that just um, embed and inherit this technology. Less discussion on the technology. And, and a lot more discussion on, you know, what we're seeing change. So I, I think identity is key. Um, I think, you know, the, going to sort of fiat currencies on, on digital, I think, becomes important as well. Thank you very much. Raymond, I'm going to let you wrap this up because you put together this stellar panel, and I really do appreciate all of the brain power we've been hearing so far on the hour. We're almost out of time. But, Raymond, I'm going to predict that you're going to come back to me in a few minutes after the show, and you're going to say, Bonnie, 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 we need part four. So what would part four be about if we're continuing this discussion on blockchain, a.k.a. the Gideon? I'm sorry, Gideon, i got to do that. The Gideon, money's digital makeover or shared, shared uh, trusted platforms and shared trusted ledgers. Raymond, what would part four be titled? Wow, there is, um, there's so many things we could, we could still talk about. Um, and uh, time flies when you're having fun. It's, uh, it's uh, incredible to see that the hour is oh. almost over. Um, one big topic would be, would be use cases or looking at uh, scenarios more closely. Um, so from, from the different industries that we're seeing, I mean, Chris mentioned a few of them, but, but there are many, many more. And I'm sure uh, Gideon came across a multitude of those. Um, so this would be an option, and um, just uh, thinking about it, I, I, I think I, I could come up with three or more different different ways to talk about that uh, as well. So let's uh, take it offline, and we'll see. You're on. I, I think I have a date that needs to be filled. I'll be in touch with you in the next hour or so. Thank you. I was just kind of teasing you, but I was also giving you a heads up. Gentlemen, it's been such a pleasure. Gideon Greenspan, pleasure to meet you. Chris Hansen as well. Raymond, anytime. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Yes, we'll be back tomorrow, by the way, with a the second episode of our newest series, Changing the Game in Life Sciences. You don't want to miss that one. 10 a.m. here on the Business Channel. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Maybe seatbelts will be on a shared distributed ledger someday. I don't know. What kind of seatbelt are you wearing? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Raymond Gross, just like Dr. Gideon Greenspan, and just like Chris Hansen. Have a great day. Thanks to Kevin, our engineer extraordinaire. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 